What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to do these in between our full episodes. Of course, our full All of the Above ep- episodes are video format as well as podcast. And um, it takes a while to edit those. And we have super dope guests and headlines and all kinds of good stuff that goes in there. And in between those fully uh, super dope episodes, we have these passing periods where it's just myself, Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and Jeff checking in on stories and and news that perhaps didn't make it into our most recent full episode. And with winter break here, we are going to have a few passing periods in a row. Jeff, I believe this is like the third passing period in a row um, as we try to navigate closing out a semester and having our winter break plans and just guests being busy and all that good stuff. So uh, a couple passing periods in a row, but we will be back to full episodes in January after this break, assuming that... um, Assuming that everything's okay in January for us to um, be having guests back on and all that stuff. Because I don't know if you noticed, Jeff, but the world is, um, I mean, it's been crazy for a while. This is a ongoing trend, a crazy world. <laughs> but um, the last couple of days especially have been really weird. And I'm looking at my, you know, ESPN, my scoreboard for uh, English soccer because, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I messes with the soccer, the, uh, you know, the football and all these games that I'm looking at. Man United versus Brighton, postponed. Brentford, Southampton, postponed. Watford, Crystal Palace, postponed. West Ham and Norwich, postponed. The only game that's going on is the Arsenal game. And uh, that's a lot of postponements. And Jeff, I don't know if you've heard, but um, we've, got, we've got some COVID issues. We've got some Omicron issues. And they are impacting everything from the sports world internationally to maybe the classroom. So let's talk about it, man. Let's talk about it. First of all, happy, I guess, first day of your winter break, I believe. Word, word, Manuel. <laughs> Happy winter break <laughs> to you and to every human being who works in education who is now on vacation. Uh, you and know, apologies I, to those who are not. There's like yeah. a few. There's a few areas where like you still got school on Monday and I think Tuesday even, which is just awful. How dare yeah. they do that to you, educator? I think there's, I'm sure there's plenty of districts that are going up until Thursday of this week that are going. Cause awful. Because isn't Thursday, I gotta, I haven't even looked at the calendar. This is how vacation I am. I'm sure there's <laughs> districts that have school on the 23rd uh, and are just off the 24th. Yeah, so they're, they're going until next Thursday. Pro- probably New York is. I, I would have to take a look. Man. But that, you know, that's where I spend most of my career. And they they always do the stupid, like, right up to the holiday, you know, school on the week of Thanksgiving up until Wednesday, you know. So, anyways, not that I have strong feelings about the matter, but uh, I am I am thrilled to uh, be on vacation as of today for the next two weeks straight. And uh, nice. I am, I'm going to be traveling to see family and wearing securely, tightly, a well-fitting KN95 mask that I am not taking off until I get not only off of the plane, but out of the airport. I will have a face shield with me in the backpack just in case I'm next to one of these crazy people who wants to be coughing and sneezing. And uh, I'm not touching a damn thing. <laughs> set, set Don't you want your freedom, Jeff? Don't you want plane. your freedom? How dare you let the government mask you, oh, Jeff? Man. How dare you? 
Well, I will tell you, Manuel, this is this is what progress uh, in the pandemic looks like. A year ago this time, uh, on this day exactly, oh, I was I driving, okay, driving to, uh, you know, back to Minnesota from Los Angeles uh, to to see my family. And um, and also this is this is uh, folks, folks may not know this, but uh my, you know, a family member of mine had a very serious medical crisis at the time and was in the um, in the ICU, not with COVID, but right. trying to manage a loved one's health care while driving through rural areas of Utah and Wyoming uh, is not advisable. So if, if you can avoid that in your life, I, I would suggest <laughs> doing so. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, we're doing better than that, Manuel. Yeah. Yeah, I that's a plus. That's a plus for sure. I mean, we, we do have, I mean, especially, I mean, I mean, not only obviously do we have the vaccine at this point, but you've gotten your booster shot. I've gotten my booster shot. So, I mean, we're boosted up. That's, that's, that's progress compared to this time last year. So I'll take that. Yep. Yep. But uh, speaking of that booster shot and speaking of, uh, you know, of the evolution of the pandemic, as you were noting, the Omicron variant is raging. Uh, across the world and uh, almost certainly across the United States. We have such a poor testing infrastructure in this country that we don't yet know for sure. But when we see things like what was seen, uh, what's been kind of grabbing the headlines uh, over the last week is that Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, you know, shut down because they had like 800 positive uh, cases. Um, over the course of you know a week or just a few days, and um, and they are a campus that had a vaccine mandate. They were ninety, you know, they report that they're over ninety percent vaccinated students and you know staff. Uh, so you wouldn't think that we'd be seeing those those kind of numbers, and yet we do. And Cornell's been grabbing the headlines. And I kind of feel bad for them on a, in a certain sense because they're not alone. It's not like they did something, right. you know, they messed up or whatever. At least to my knowledge. Uh, but there's a bunch of schools now, um, you know, uh, particularly right now along the East Coast, but um, you know, across the country that are doing similar things to close out the semester or did similar things to close out the semester to say, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be remote for final exams or we're going to, you know, like have the last few weeks of instruction remote. We're going to shut down, you know, go back to where we were in 2020. Uh, And the question, Manuel, is what's the impact of this and what should be the impact of this on the K-12 system? And I think it's a great question for which we don't yet have a really clear answer, which is a bit tricky because we are, as we just said, heading into vacation when everybody's about to go home. Lots of people are going to travel. There's going to be a lot of, you know, kids hanging out with their cousins and spitting and snotting on each other. There's going to be, you know, (laughs) like families sitting around a table, unmasked, eating, laughing, shouting, telling jokes, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And it's winter. People are going to be indoors in many parts of the country. Um, You know, in most parts of the country, they're going to be forced to be indoors. You can't really eat outside in, you know, in Minnesota in December. Uh, And so, you know, the, the conditions are ripe for transmission of COVID. Uh, And, and then we're just going to open school up, in, you know, in January. 
And layer on top of that, Manuel, I'm, I'm not sure, I haven't seen reporting on this to be, to be honest, um, but here in Los Angeles, the, uh, the district just updated its COVID safety protocols uh, coming back in January on two fronts. So one, there was a student vaccine mandate, which is now effectively no longer a student vaccine mandate um, because they're giving the students the like 20% of kids who didn't get vaccinated uh, until June to get vaccinated, which I think politically means that they're just never going to have to year. get vaccinated. Yeah, because they're, yeah. they're, they're just not going to, the more entrenched those folks are, they're, they're just going to yeah. back down because they don't want to lose that many kids. So I get the politics are tricky, but it's certainly a politics decision over a public health decision. And we're also uh, seeing shifts in policy like schools that have 85% vaccination rates no longer have to mask in outdoor areas. Um, the, uh, the quarantining period is going to be shortened. The actual process of quarantining is now going to take place at the school site, the details for which I have not yet seen uh, for what that's supposed to look like. But, um, but apparently they're no longer like going to be sending kids home for quarantining. Um, testing, they're reducing. LAUSD has had probably the nation, at least as far as a large district goes, the best testing infrastructure in the country. They are no longer going to be testing uh, folks who are vaccinated um, and, you know, a, bu a bunch of other things like that that honestly, Manuel, from my standpoint, feel like this is not this is not a, a sound public health policy. This, this is uh, political covid fatigue. And it is really scary in my mind that this is happening at this moment when we are already seeing a surge nationally and very likely to see, you know, almost certainly, I shouldn't say almost certainly, but if you're a betting person, you have to believe, you know, believe that there's a strong likelihood that we're going to see an additional spike uh, in cases over the holidays because this is what happens when people gather, yeah. right? Uh, so all of that is going on, Manuel. And, uh, you that. know, <laughs> it's a lot. So, uh, it is, indeed. yeah, what's, what's, what's your take here, man? Do we, you know, are we, are we responding rationally and, and, uh, appropriately? Is this just always like, Jeff, is this craziness? Like what, what do you, what's your take? You know, I'm, I'm concerned because I'm seeing some parallels in the way folks are responding to it. Um, parallels between the sports world and the education world in the sense that, it does sound like more and more folks are starting to speak about like if you're asymptomatic and vaccinated and you test positive more or less one thing one way or another it's going to be okay like you could i guess quarantine on campus is uh what you just mentioned or in this uh nba and also i, I believe the nfl but nba for sure they're allowing folks to to return from their quarantine a little earlier if you were vaccinated and were asymptomatic. So like, you know, Russell Westbrook play, played last night and folks were asking like, how did he come back so quick? And it seems to be this relaxation of the protocols in the in a way that basically suggests that unless you're actually ex like exhibiting signs that you are actually sick, we're just gonna pretend everything's okay and we're just gonna keep it moving. And I think that's, well, 
I think most could agree that's really, really dangerous when you're talking about airborne disease. Um, but also, I, I think that's symbolic of the COVID fatigue that you mentioned. And it reminds me of way back when, when the CDC said like, oh, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And then like a lot of folks who were wearing masks stopped wearing masks. And then later on, when the cases went up again, the CDC was like, wait, well, you no, know, we got to go back. We're reversing that. But it was already too late. The cat was already out of the bag. I think a lot of folks have already either already have or are currently wrapping their heads around a idea or possibility that like you're, you're just going to get sick. It's just, it's inevitable. And as long as you're vaccinated and especially if you're boosted, you know, you won't get like deathly ill. So it is what it is. And that's, <laughs> that's terrible policy, especially when it comes down to things that are just simply unknown. Um, and in this case, we're talking different variants and maybe, maybe Omicron is super, super, uh, infectious, but perhaps it's a little more quote unquote mild than Delta was. Um, that's what uh, some scientist who was on NPR last night was saying, like early data from like South Africa suggests that hospitalizations are less likely with Omicron than with Delta or something like that. I don't know. But in any case, like folks start to consider and, and, and think about like, okay, maybe this isn't, maybe this is just the new reality. Maybe this is just something that we got to get used to. I'm not going to go back on lockdown, this, that, whatever, whatever. And you have school districts like LA uh, pulling back their vaccine mandate plans because of the, the, the fear of losing so many students or overwhelming their online services. And I don't know. I just feel like this is a, we're going in the direction of we are on our own. Like if you get sick, you're on your own. Um, we're not testing as much. We're not tracking as much. Um, the federal government certainly isn't going to support you as much as it did during the lockdown in terms of uh, stimulus. And we see the child tax credit about to expire and, and student debt payments about to go back into effect. Like we are on our own out here. <laughs> and as a, as a classroom teacher, you know, I'm boosted. I, I, I'm, I'll be lying to you if I said I'm, I'm worried about my own physical health because, you know, the fact that I'm boosted and that everybody in my classroom wears a mask and, and all that, we have Purify, all that good stuff. Like, I feel all right in that sense. And I don't know if that's a good thing. Maybe I should feel a little more concerned about my own personal health. Um, but in any case, like, I just, I think the cases are going to go way up. And we are pretty much at the threshold of, as a school system, are we going to seriously entertain the possibility of remote instruction for a portion of next semester? Or are we really just going to just keep going at it? And again, we're all on our own. And I think that's what we're leaning towards as a system. I, I don't know. I don't know what the right approach is. I'm not going to sit here and say like, uh, you know, we need to consider going to remote in January because these cases are going up and winter surge and this and that. I don't know if that's the best idea. I don't know. I just am frustrated that like it's not going away. I'm really frustrated that we don't, I don't see much leadership in the education space um, around this and around being really serious about this. I feel like every time I open my email or, you know, every couple of weeks, a different headline comes out from a different district or whatever. It's like an update on the policies or, oh yeah, we were going to do that, but never mind that. And it's just, um, it's, it's, the fatigue is definitely setting in with this teacher right here. And <laughs> I am concerned that like, if this thing really gets out of hand, I mean, last winter was really, really tough nationally in terms of cases and all that. And if the sports world is going to take on this approach of like, oh, maybe we'll let folks come back sooner after a contact or sooner after testing positive because, you know, they're not symptomatic. If the sports world is going to do that, if the education world is going to be thinking along those lines of like, you know, if you're vaccinated or asymptomatic, you know what, just keep it moving. I don't, I don't know what the outcome of that is, but it certainly doesn't sound like or doesn't seem like it would be a 
positive outcome because we're talking about all the other family members that might not be vaccinated or all the other staff members or, you know, extended families, all the other folks that that we interact with who might have someone at home who does have a compromised immune system. And it's just really dangerous as a, as a society to start thinking of like, oh, maybe this is just the reality that we live with now. That reality that we live with is a reality that will kill a lot of people that we care about if we if we just let it be. So yeah, man, it's, it's concerning. It's really concerning. Um, I don't, I don't know much what to say about it, man. It's just like, I don't know. I, I guess I'll show back up in two weeks and keep on teaching like I've been teaching, man. Cause I don't see any, any change on the horizon in terms of, of that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think what is coming up in these in these kind of policy changes, some of it is based in, at least, you know, of course, I'm not a, uh, you know, a doctor or an <laughs> infectious disease specialist, but from, you know, looking at the data and published, you know, articles and from the CDC and, you know, D Department of Public Health, there's, I think when you look at it, to me, there's very clearly conflicting messages in the sense that, um, there's emerging information that we have, which does suggest that we probably don't need to quarantine folks for as long as we thought, as long as they are getting negative tests, right? And they remain asymptomatic. But we don't right. have the infrastructure in place to do like daily, you know, daily rapid testing for everyone who would be a, you know, a close exposure. Right. So even in a place where there's a pretty robust uh, testing infrastructure, like in LAUSD, they're going to test the close exposure kids twice a week. Now, that's certainly a lot better than the than the maybe not at all that is, you know, that is being done in other places. But it's like if we want to have this policy of like, let's not have kids quarantining and then find out 10 days later that they're actually OK. Right. Like that. We can try to avoid that. But the, the safety threshold, to me, <laughs> based on what we are seeing, should be daily testing and symptom checks. And, and if they remain asymptomatic and they're testing negative, then they get to come back. If any of those things changes, then they have to quarantine at home, right? And we're not doing that. We've got this like in-between policy that's like, well, we'll test you like you know, two out of seven days and see what happens, right? And I'm like, why are, right. we, why are we seeing what happens? Like, we know enough about this disease to know that that's insufficient to actually solve the problem. And it's not a question of, do we have resources to do this? It's a question of like, are we willing, right? So I think there, there's things like that where to me it just says, um, you know, we, we have to, you know, we have to, be honest with ourselves here, right? Like we're making political choices about stuff that we think is going to be easier or better tolerated, you know, politically, rather than saying like, what's the best public health policy to implement here? And we are gambling to that extent with the health and well-being of our, of our children, which to me is just you know, it's crazy. Like, of course, there's always risk, right? <laughs> like, you leave your house in the morning, you might get hit by a bus, okay? There's risk. You stay home, you might die from carbon monoxide. Like, there's always risk. But we're not talking about that, right? Like, we're, we're talking about, uh, a, you know, a disease, a pandemic that we know enough about to know that we could do it differently and we're choosing not to. And, you know, that part to me just, it, it just feels wrong. Um, 
the other slice of this, Manuel, that I, I really feel like we haven't at all as a, as a society talked enough about or focused on enough in terms of public education is, so if you don't die from COVID and you're not hospitalized from COVID and you survive, what happens to you? And the data on this is kind of alarming. And I feel like almost nobody's talking about this, right? So there's a, uh, a study that was done out of uh, Penn State um, University, uh, published in uh, Science Daily back in October of, of this year, okay? And they, you know, they studied this huge group of folks um, who uh, looked at symptoms of folks. This, these were uh, unvaccinated adults and children who were diagnosed with COVID uh, from way back in December 19 through March of 2021. And among those, um, they found large percentages that had symptoms over a six month window of time since their infection. Now this study, you know, is obviously like relatively new, so maybe it's still ongoing and we'll learn more about what those things look like a year later or two years later. But six months later in a two year pandemic is long, you know, is long term data, right? So check out just a few of these stats, man. More than half of all patients reported weight loss, fatigue, fever, or pain, okay? Um, roughly one in five experienced a decrease in mobility. Nearly one in four experienced difficulty concentrating, right? The so-called COVID fog, right? COVID brain. Um, nearly one in three were diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorders. Six in 10 had chest imaging abnormality um, and more than a quarter had difficulty breathing, okay? Now there's other stuff people experience, skin conditions, um, digestive issues, this kind of stuff, right? Now, I don't know, this data set does include adults and children. In the article I'm seeing here, it doesn't break down like the prevalence of this among kids versus adults. So, you know, that's an interesting question to learn more about. But we're maybe missing the equation of like, just because kids are particularly unlikely to be the face of the pandemic and that they wind up in the hospital or they wind up on a ventilator, even though that does happen sometimes and needs to be taken seriously, what about all the other symptoms, man? If you're 12 and you get COVID, and you, you know what, what's the effect yeah. on your body, even if you recover over the long term? And I feel like to me, that's where maybe we're taking this not seriously enough and not considering like this could cause long-term harm to people in, in a way that's like, you don't get captured in the, in the graphs that we see on TV, which is always like infection, hospitalization right. and death, right? And so I don't want to risk that for kids, you know, like we, I don't know. Right. I feel like we need to take that part of it more seriously. Yeah. I mean, the number one goal should always be throughout this whole thing to not catch it in the first place. And I feel like that number one goal of not catching it in the first place is gradually shifting to uh, catch it, but be vaccinated. So it doesn't hurt you too much um, mindset in a lot of, in a lot of spaces and arenas. And you're right. We don't know the long-term impact uh, that study itself. I, all that research was done before Omicron. So maybe Omicron impacts the long-term um, implications in one way or another. Maybe, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this is, everything's shifting. It feels like month to month, everything is different. The the information that we have, the reality on the ground, it all shifts and it continues to shift. And that's one reason I think where a lot, why a lot of folks have kind of just thrown their hands up and just been like, 
whatever. I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. And yeah, that's that's troubling. If if you're a parent listening to this right now, and you know, I saw yesterday that Pfizer's study for uh, the vaccine and in, in really really young kids is, is wasn't wasn't didn't produce the best results in. And you know, I, I could imagine what how difficult it must be to have a children a child in the school system right now with all this happening. In addition to the social media stuff, which we'll get to in a second. Um, yeah, all I can say is just hang in there because, I mean, number number one thing, do what's in the best interest of your child. And as far as I could tell, districts all still have their, their online options. Not all, literally, but uh, many districts, districts still have their online options there dangling. So I would just, you know, keep an eye on that over the next couple of weeks and see what this, uh, what this latest surge looks like because... Yeah, anybody who who pretends to know what's coming is is lying to themselves and everybody else because uh, we are in uncharted territory here as we undergo another winter surge. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that, Jeff, I'm I'm sure you are aware of of yesterday Friday's um, I guess lead story in education spaces, which is this uh, apparent apparent school shooting threat that was apparently either trending or circulating on social media or something. It depends on who you ask, because I keep hearing different different uh, terminology around what actually happened or what actually transpired. But but yeah, we have a, a wild TikTok world as well in the midst of this wild Omicron world. And yesterday, the uh, Ho- uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, tweeted, not yesterday, wait, yeah, yesterday, uh, yesterday morning tweeted, the Department of Homeland Security is aware of public reporting that suggests possible threats to schools on December 17, 2021. DHS does not have any information indicating any specific credible threats to schools, but recommends communities remain alert. And several districts sent out their own alerts to parents and students and staff. I know our California Department of Education uh, sent out a big alert about it as well. Apparently, there was some, some sort of posting on TikTok that either went viral or was related to some notion of some kind of trend to uh, report threats to your own school or your own local area. And all the adults got very, 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 very panicked about it. I'm sure young people were um, impact, were panicked as well somewhere, but the adults, man, the adults were um, really, really, really seeming to be worried about this as they should be because these are threats to the school system. And Jeff, as a teacher, I was looking at this unfold Thursday night and it wasn't panic that I felt. It was more a sense of inevitability. I just feel that for decades we have, as a nation, not really responded to the reality of school shootings, to the reality of the unfortunate deaths that have happened on our school campuses over the last several decades, again and again and again. And if young people take to social media to either jokingly or seriously try to spread threats and get the threats going and try to impact the operations of a school day, I don't know. I just feel like that's inevitable. They were raised in a, in a reality where all they have known is that school shootings are a thing that happen. And now they are glued to social media for reasons we've discussed in the past. Not reasons, but I mean, we've discussed in the past how they're glued to social media. And it just seems inevitable that you would have this, this mixing of social media activity about school shootings 
and the reality on the ground of the seriousness of threats around school shootings. And I didn't see any any um, students absent in my classes yesterday on Friday uh, because of that. I had two students absent, one's out of town and the other one's been absent for um, for a few days. So this wasn't specific to this threat. So it didn't impact my school particularly, but my sister, she lives in suburban New Jersey and she has school age kids, three of them. And they said about a third of their classmates didn't go to school because, because of these threats, because their parents held them back because of these threats. And yeah, this is very, very real. And I'm just, wor I'm just curious what the road ahead looks like, because this is just the latest TikTok thing, apparent TikTok thing. I keep saying apparent because I've yet to see any actual post. I'm not on TikTok, but also just the reporting around this as, you know, I've, I've poured through articles about this. I just don't see the actual posts that folks keep saying are out there. So I don't know if this is the adults. When I say the adults were in a panic, what I kind of meant by that is like the adults are, are reacting to a thing that either might not like really be there in the significant way that we're reacting to it. Like this was this a post or two. I'm sure somebody listening has has the deets, has the details, but I didn't see anything about like a, a wide ranging series of posts all over the place where students were really doing this. So I just I just don't know. But it it definitely impacted the operations of the school day in many places. And the earlier TikTok challenge about like destru uh, destruction of of school property that that definitely impacted a lot of schools. I heard plenty about that. Like, I know that was a, a really big thing. So then it's like, okay, so what's next? And are we as classroom teachers going to remain at the mercy of TikTok trends and social media as we go on? Or are we gonna actually apply some kind of pressure to TikTok or perhaps more importantly, actually address the impact that social media and uh, students' connectivity has had on their own development, their own well-being. Are we going to actually address it in a way to hopefully uh, stem the tide of these destructive challenges or these harmful, not just these harmful challenges, but the harmful impacts of social media in a more general sense on young people? Because right now, just like I feel like we are on our own in this pandemic, like good luck, try not to get sick, but good luck. I, I feel like that is similarly our approach around social media. It seems very harmful. It seems really, really bad for young people, but um, yeah, no no real policy or leadership around that. So uh, good luck. Hope your young person isn't impacted because you're on your own. And that's that's a horrible, horrible feeling to have in a, a supposed democratic society where we uh, you know look out for each other, do things together to create a, a, a better world for everybody in community. Yeah, um, on our own, when it comes to these online, on the when it comes to the online impact of social media and all that stuff on young people and on our own when it comes to um, catching COVID. So yeah, Jeff, I don't know if you experienced uh, much discussion around this on yesterday on Friday when the you know apparent threats were circulating or when, you know, the day that the threats were targeting at least. So yeah, what was your perspective on this whole TikTok thing? Yeah, um, so definitely, you know, I, I work in a space where I'm, you know, I more interact with, uh, more frequently interact with administrators on stuff than like students. Um, but definitely, from you know, from the administrator perspective, so much time and attention, man, on these like ridiculous. Uh, we talked about this in the last episode, like fake Instagram accounts that are going up. Um, the TikTok challenge earlier in the year with the like you know kids destroying stuff in the bathrooms like. Schools yeah. that I work with still have like restrictive bathroom policies, not because that's what they want to have, but because they don't want to 
have a sink knocked off the wall because some kid got some stupid idea from TikTok or whatever, right? And uh, so this this is very much having a, a real effect, both in terms of like property and, you know, kind of like uh, safety, physical safety on campus, but also uh, think of the cost of this, man. Like, I honestly, I feel, so I've said this before, Manuel, I don't think there's any reason for a child under the age of 18 to be on social media at all for any reason. Like, I, I think we should, it should, we should ban it. Like, frankly, alcohol is less dangerous than social media is, I would argue. <laughs> like, there, you know there what? are more I, kids. I think I agree with you. Yeah, there are more kids who could figure out their way to drink responsibly, you know, uh, especially if it's like, hey, we have a few friends over at your house and like mom and dad will be in the, you know, in the basement and the kids can have fun upstairs. That is a safer thing to have happen than every kid with unfettered access to social media. Like I, you know, I don't have a study to back this up, but just my experience as an educator, I'm like, oh yeah, like social media is more dangerous than alcohol. It's more dangerous than weed. It's more dangerous than a lot of, it's certainly more dangerous than nipples on television. Okay. And all these other things that we regulate because <laughs> heaven forbid a child should see a nipple or a butt cheek on TV. Okay. Like this, like our priorities are just off here and like social media is dangerous to children's mental health it's dangerous to in terms of these like violent attack threat kinds of things it's dangerous to like these challenges that involve destruction of you know of school property and i honestly i think either we need to have a like serious regulatory mechanism put in place to to check these social media companies or we need to just kick, not allow kids on social media. And the company's gonna be like, oh, there's no way for us to control that. Absolutely, they could, could control it if they wanted to, or at least to do way yeah. better than they're doing. It's just profitable for them to do what they're doing. Um, or we should raise the cost on these companies tremendously. So all the overtime hours for, you know, for, uh, uh, plant managers on school campuses to clean up the graffiti and to fix the broken sinks and stuff that are getting destroyed on school campuses, send that bill right to TikTok, send that bill right to Instagram. Okay, all the police overtime, the it's Department funny. of Homeland Security, however many people in their office are monitoring TikTok, send that bill for their time right to TikTok. Man, like this, yeah. you know, sue the hell out of these people with, you know, for every kid that's cutting themselves or, you know, heaven forbid a child takes their own life because of online bullying, like civil suits up the wazoo. Like we need to get billions and billions of dollars out of these folks until they change their behavior. And we probably yeah. should do all of those policies at once because these companies are predatory and this is harming our children. It's harming one of the most important institutions we have to care for our children and undermining our ability to do that effectively. And yeah. do they have some, you know, some positives? Of course. But the positives do not outweigh the negatives for young people, in my mind, um, at this point in history. And so, like, it's, it's crazy that we put this on teachers and we put this on principals and deans and, you know, custodians in schools to, like, solve our broken social media regulatory <laughs> mechanism yeah. and police officers like what this is not you know what any of these people should be worrying about so yeah. um yeah I, you know i just feel and, like yeah go ahead 
there, I mean, there's plenty these companies could do as well. I mean, because part of me is like, well, we're never going to get any money from them. Like, I, I, w- in the, I wish we could do all the things you just said in terms of suing them for, you know, building them all these overtime hours, doing this, doing that. I, I, and I'm just, I'm not hopeful that that would produce many results. But there are definitely things that we could legislate in order to help protect our children from the harms of social media. I mean, all these things are, are built off of algorithms. That's a choice. Like I was explaining to students like back in the MySpace days, like pre-algorithms. So there was no such thing as like a trend necessarily in that kind of sense back then because there wasn't the algorithm to, you know, kind of divert attention towards towards something like in this case, these threats and these viral challenges. Um, those algorithms are levers that they could, they could shift or, or take away altogether. They could take away like buttons. They could take away comment sections. They could take away a whole lot of things. But the problem from their their perspective is that that'll lower engagement and with less engagement, they can't profit off of that. And how are we going to make our money? And, you know, all, all that capitalist uh, BS. I'm looking at how the Chinese version of TikTok, which I believe is called um, Doyin, uh, owned by the same company, ByteDance. Um, in, in China, they they implemented new regulations for young people on their version of TikTok back in September, or at least there was a lot of reporting in American media about these uh, these restrictions. I'm looking at a CNN article now um, that's reporting that that reported back in September that the Chinese version of TikTok introduced a, um, a teenage mode where children under the age of 14, so you know, should be a little older than the 14, but at least whatever. Children under the age of the 14, under the age of 14 in China, um, are limited to 40 minutes a day total on the app and cannot be on it after or between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. And I know from my own students who are high schoolers, largely you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds. I know that late at night is when they're on it the most, at least according mm-hmm. to their own, you know, they stay up all night just scrolling through video, 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 whatever, yep. whatever, whatever. So in China, like, no, at 10 o'clock. It shuts down for for uh, students who are a certain age or people who are a certain age, and to me, that's just a sign, regardless of of how China went about it or goes about it, because obviously, slightly more authoritarian over there than over here at the moment. At the at the I moment, like how you I said slightly though. That's- <laughs> at the at the moment, slightly at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. But in any case, you know, perhaps they they were able to do things that right now wouldn't fly over here. But at least is it's a sign that like, hey. <laughs> China sees that this is a freaking problem and they're trying something like, what are we trying? Like if we can't implement something like that, where it's straight up shuts down at a certain hour for a certain age groups. And, you know, it's probably harder over here because it's, I imagine it's easier in the, in the States to set up, you know, fake accounts and this and that. And, um, and beyond that, anyways, that's like a my, choice for them too, man. That's, that's a choice. Yeah, for exactly. Them. Exactly. Like yeah. they could definitely make the sign up process something that, uh, you know, makes it so that it's it's pretty much prohibitive of of fake accounts that's something that they could do uh, but in any case all these other things like all, all the the features that lead to something becoming viral something that is dangerous especially like all that stuff could be undone all that's like we just need to actually target and legislate these companies but instead it's here's a press release about maybe some threats maybe so keep your kid at home or not talk to your kid about responsible social media use like that's going to help in this moment and um yeah good luck again you're on your own and that's what we're getting man it's it's disgusting and it's very 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 i feel for the young people man i feel for the young people they are in this reality of just all this calamity around them i'm thinking back to the march for our lives um March back in what year was that? 2019? No, 2018. When I don't remember, but I happened to be in DC that weekend, and uh, we went down to the march. I still have the T-shirt, and just like 
young people, as far as I can see, screaming for Congress to address gun violence, do something about it. And we got nothing in terms of, you know, from Congress uh, to address that. And now I'm thinking, well, if I'm a young activist, well, I mean, hell, adults seem to respond to the freaking TikTok trends and all that. So what if these threats just go out regularly? Like we're going to have to do something at some point. We have to address the gun violence. And at the same time, we have to address the impact of these TikTok trends and how they are impacting the, the operations of the school day, because all of this is just a, it's a calamity, Jeff. It's a calamity. It's a good word for it. That's a good word for it, man. I, I will, um, I'll say, man, well, I got into a little bit of trouble on, on Facebook uh, over this last week because I put up a, a rant, as I want to do on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. I'm working on it. Um, but uh, talking about, I had overheard both on the radio and in person several conversations with, with people who were not of the youngest generations in our society. Um, making these comments about student debt uh, and like, you know, just saying stuff like, we can't forgive, you know, student debt. That's crazy. These, you know, radical young people are talking about, you know, um, canceling all the debt. Like, who's going to pay for it? You know, like it's coming out of their checking account or something. Um, or, you know, young people are lazy. They just, you know, I paid off my loans, you know, back in the 70s. I'm like, dude, you had $3,000 in loans, <laughs> you know, from your heavily publicly subsidized college education. And now you want to pull the ladder up behind you for, for a generation or multiple generations whose college costs 30, 40, 50, 60, $70,000 a year. And they have that debt hanging over them, crippling them. So I, you know, I put up this rant and I, you know, I kind of went off on quote unquote older folks, which I meant even people our age and up. But, you know, I got into, I got into a, you know, some people call me on my ageism, which I need to work on. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I am, and, uh, you know, this, this is one of those examples, Manuel, where I, I do feel like there is a conversation that we have to have about what we as we, us included, as the older generations who are alive today are creating for the younger generations who are alive today and who are coming. Yeah. Uh, and what, you know, what are we set, what kind of experience are we providing for them? What kind of like path to health and well-being and success are we offering them and there's so many layers of it just like you're saying the gun control issue climate change income inequality student debt you know all this mental health all these kinds of things that are like we have to look ourselves in the mirror and be like what are we doing uh for for our kids and um and I, you know, I, I don't feel like we have reached a healthy place of that type of like, let's look in the mirror and be honest about what's happening. It's much easier to just dismiss young people as just young and naive, right? Or, you know, whatever, just, you know, yeah. I, I was radical back in the 60s too. And then I grew up and became an investment banker or whatever, right? And like, they'll grow out of it. Like, eh, I don't know. We're not growing out of climate change. We're not growing out of like, are we going to run out of clean water? We're not growing out of... Uh, you know, people can't afford health care. So, um, you know, there, there's, I don't know, I'm going off topic here, yeah. I guess, from where we started. But uh, I feel you, and we, we owe young people better than, than what we're doing right now. Yes, indeed. So if you are 
an educator or a parent or both. Yeah, keep loving on your young people in your sphere, in your circle. They could certainly use it. It's cold out there. It's cold out there in these internet streets, in these pandemic streets, in these guns everywhere streets. It's a very, very cold world in a lot of ways, but it's also such a hopeful and loving world. Uh, I'm seeing, you know, despite the calamity that we are handing to our young people, I'm definitely seeing so much in the, in the young people in my classroom, so much hope and inspiration. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, they are far more optimistic and hopeful than I am about a lot of these big things because they, they have had it and they are ready for change. And despite the the negative challenges that are out there on TikTok, um, and I shouldn't just single out TikTok because I mean, it's on social media more generally, despite all the negative crazy stuff that's out there, man, I'm having such great conversations with my students about certain concepts that they've, you know, gone deep in uh, by, you know, going into uh, certain, certain arenas of social media. And, you know, when we're learning about uh, native peoples and in our uh, ethnic studies class, like so many students like pointing me to this TikTok and that TikTok, you know, this one from this native person, this one from this person. And like, you know, there they are, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot to be positive and hopeful about when it comes to young people learning and experiencing and, and learning that the interconnectedness of us all. So hopefully, hopefully we could lean in on that and march towards a, a, a better tomorrow. Cause today, Kind of, kind of challenging, kind of challenging. Uh, but folks, we want to thank y'all for uh, listening, tuning in to this week's passing period. And if you miss any of our, our recent conversations, I think, I think Jeff, they, they all kind of connect in terms of the challenges that we're facing. Because last passing period, we we're talking about students dealing with all, all of the challenges of today and in, in some, some cases expressing um, their frustrations in, in not positive ways across different schools and stuff. So we, we kind of talked about the mental health component of things, the last passing period. And, you know, the last several super dope guests that we've had have all uh, touched on the multiple challenges that we educators are facing in terms of, you know, the critical race theory stuff, the technology stuff, and just, just everything. So, so yeah, definitely take some time over this winter break to catch up on those AOTA show episodes and, and passing periods. We hope everybody, those who are starting their winter break now and those who still have to work and some of y'all are listening who are not educators and don't, and you're like, winter break, what even is that? Um, but we just hope it's, wonderful for everybody in whatever kind of way uh, you need it to be. So folks, we will be back sometime soon. I think next Saturday is, is Christmas. So Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. Um, so I don't know if we'll have a passing period on Christmas, but uh, we'll be back soon. We'll be back soon. Um, we love y'all. Keep your heads up. Rest in peace forever to Bell Hooks. And Jeff, mm -hmm. anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, I will co-sign on the RIP to, uh, to the great Bell Hooks. Um, I think she was, she was the first person who taught me the, the phrase, um, you know, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy, uh, and, and, and broke my mind. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all, all the things. <laughs> it's all of the things at once. Yes, uh, I need to think much more profoundly and intersectionally than I, you know, thought as a 19 or 20 year old when I when I first encountered her work and um, yeah an, a loss but um, you know her words will live on um, and, and all the many people who have who have read her work and will continue to read her work um, educators and and otherwise um, so yeah you know happy uh, happy holidays to everyone um, and 
enjoy the break, man. Take some, take some yeah. actual time off, people. We need it. And uh, the second semester, second half of the year, if you're a trimester person, but uh, or you know, school system. Uh, but you know, this this important milestone is here. We got to rest and come come back ready to go for the young people in January. Yeah, all of that. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in. We love y'all. Now it's time for you to go ahead and uh, actually, you don't have to get to class. You're on break. Go ahead and get to break. This is the dismissal bell right here. <laughs> yes. <laughs>